Uh, this may be the first film in movie history that could actually be proven to kill brain cells. It was a tumor that metastasized into, like, pop culture phenomenon. <laughs> What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the newspapers.com studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. I am Mark James, and welcome back to another episode of Dueling Decades. This week, we jump into June with a joyous best-of duel. I will be battling with June of 1991 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, representing June of 2001, please welcome back to the show the media king of the North, Joe Finley. Ah, the summer of 2001, when we just knew that everything was going to be awesome forever. Uh, no, it's it's actually a pretty fun year. We're uh, looking forward to talking about it. I'm happy to be here as always. And let's rock and roll, babies. Also on the panel this week in dueling with June 1981. Say hello to the host of Garbage Pail Flicks. It's Chucky the Wolfman Savage. Hey, what's up? What's dueling, duelers? We're bringing back the 80s this time. Retro heat in this 1981 June summer it was a cruel, cruel summer. Bring it on, rude boys. Yeah. Dig it. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So back behind the bench is the man who always wants to zoom a zoom zoom and a boom boom. All rise for the honorable Judge Man Crush. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, that was fucking weak. I've been away for so long and you guys skipped a decade. <laughs> fuck i don't like 2001 geez i was like it's been a while <laughs> well was that 2001 i was like 99 right like i think the 80s and 90s yeah. i know like the back of my hand at this point the 2000s and i mentioned this to these guys before the meeting or before the meeting before the show <laughs> I, you could tell where i've been that uh you know i i kind of wished that they had done 03 and 04 because those years I was away for most of it, and I don't know shit about. Actually, how's it go in uh, in Ozark? I don't know shit about fuck. And that that would be 2003 and 2004. So, but I'm happy we got 01, 81, 91. Uh, let's do this shit. I don't even know. I don't even remember how to play it. Let's go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The following contest will be held under dueling decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wildcard round. 
All right, duelers, remember to like, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to Man Crush for the coin toss this week, which will be between Joe Finley and Chucky. Uh, Chucky, you're going to call it this week. Let's go. I did a tails last time. Let's go heads this time. Let's go with heads this time. Bullshit detected. Take precautions. <laughs> Sorry, I grabbed the wrong thing to flip. All right. Let's. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got a, this Tom Higginson boombox crew uh, pin. Our friend Tom Higginson. So let's go uh, heads. Will be the front of this pin, which is the boombox crew, and the back is silver. What do you uh, What do you want? You said heads. Yeah, All heads. Right, here we go. Listen to it. Listen. Oh, it's silver. No. All right, Joe Finley, you won the coin toss. You take control of the board, and you get to select our first category. All right. Well, I'm going to start off with the news because this one, it is bringing the sadness. But it's a weird sadness. It's just one of those weird stories that doesn't feel like a real story. And that's why I picked it. All right. So I take you to June 1st, 2001, where the crown prince Dipendra of Nepal killed his father, the king, as well as the remaining members of the royal family, including his mother, and then attempted to kill himself. But he succeeded, but it didn't take right away so he actually he attempted this on june 1st and didn't die until june 4th so as a result of the regicide he was king of nepal for three days oh my god wait did you say did you say that it didn't the death didn't take? Well, he, he attempted to kill himself but he got he like he was in a hospital he failed but here's the thing that's what then blows my mind because it's like they're trying to save his life so that he can be the king because he murdered the king. And I was like, sounds like some Game of Thrones shit. And it just kind of blew my mind. And I just sat with it for a while. And I'm like, I'm not looking for anything else. This is <laughs> this is enough. Like, I was like, what, what more could I ask for? So there's not anything else to this. It's a very short story. Prince kills the king, becomes the king. But because he actually killed himself, he didn't really get to be the king that long. June 1st through 4th, 2001. Are you sure you had 2000? <laughs> very bizarre for 2000. Oh, it was BC shit. No. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. No. That's what it was. I was going to say, man, I think you're mistaken, Joe. <laughs> All right, Chucky, what did you bring for the news round? You guys with the news round first. Well, <laughs> all right, here we go. News. The Center of Disease Control and Prevention reported that five homosexual men in Los Angeles, California, have a rare form of pneumonia seen only in patients with weakened immune systems. AIDS! Scientists believe that HIV originally came from a virus particularly to chimpanzees in West Africa during the 1930s and originally transmitted to humans through the transfer of blood through uh, hunting. Uh, over the decades, the virus spread through Africa and to other parts of the world. AIDS! Uh, the 1981 global pandemic and HIV AIDS, it continues to be an ongoing worldwide uh, public health issue. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, as of 2021, AIDS and HIV has killed approximately 36.3 million people and approximately 37.7 million people are infected with HIV globally. AIDS! <laughs> 
Uh, by uh, December of 1981, there was 337 reported cases of severe immune deficiency. The CDC estimates uh, about roughly 42,000 people were unknowingly HIV positive at the time. AIDS! I give you June 5th, 1981, the first recognized case of AIDS! If, if you put on your Chucky filter, it'll change all the AIDS to kayfabe. <laughs> Wait, did you say AIDS? <laughs> AIDS! Yes, AIDS! Interesting. <laughs> All right. My news pick this week, This it tells the chapter in the life of a man who was a professional football player. He married an iconic Amazon woman. He's now a professional boxer, and he'd later go to prison. I'm talking about former New York Jet, Mark Gastineau. Woo! So let's go to an article by Michael Katz, June 8th, 1991, where the headline reads, Gastineau sacks foe in 12 seconds. Mark Gastineau is now a professional boxer. Kind of. Officially, he was one for all of 12 seconds, but the clock was stopped early in the first round last night. Not surprisingly for a show that almost did not start because there was no ring or gloves seven hours prior. The ring card girls had to be recruited from the audience, and there was some doubt whether or not the knockout of Derek Dukes was real. Many in the crowd of about of a thousand at the 6500 Salem Civic Center didn't even see the punch that lifted Dukes backwards about two feet into the air. Dukes said, I didn't see anything coming. I think it hit me in the neck. But referee Al Rothenberg, uh, supported by videotape, proved correct when he said it was an upright uppercut that Dukes leaned into just after slipping the jab. Uh, Dukes didn't get up in 10, though, but that was because Rothenberg had to stop the count when old number 99 of the Jets didn't know that he had to go to a neutral corner. So Gastineau didn't, didn't do his taunting that he normally does or his quarterback sack dance, but he did trip over his 243-pound opponent. By the time Rosenberg resumed the account, Dukes was able to get up at the count of eight, which was like 13 or 14 seconds of actual canvas time, but he declined an invitation to continue the fight. Dukes was also a professional wrestler who was ranked at 153 in that year's PWI 500. He later admitted that he took a dive in that fight. In 18 career bouts, Gastineau's boxing record was 15-2-1. 60 Minutes would go on to interview several others that fought Gastineau and were told to take dives to make Gastineau look good. So I give you Mark Gastineau, professional boxer, one and oh shit, that's pretty bad. June 8th, 1991. Wow. All right, let's throw it right down to Man Crush for his verdict on the news round. All right, let's go right in order here. It's the news round. Let's start with 2001. And Joe came with a story about Prince killing his father. And now I know really why Joe started with the news. Because this was something about Prince killing the king of pop. Or is that <laughs> what it was? No. All right. Well, it doesn't matter. But that is why doves cry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's go on to 1981. Uh, AIDS. And... Uh, you know, in the 80s, Anthony Fauci, he believed that you get AIDS from a toilet seat. And somehow he's still in the same position. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to skip that one, too. And then Mark shows up with the fucking sack exchange. 
<laughs> hitting me right in the fucking heart. Uh, you know, why didn't we ever see a fight between Mark Gasnow and Mickey Rourke? Ooh, that would have been good. <laughs> yeah, considering both of them both had phantom knockouts. In an, the first an interesting side note, I actually picked this news story before we knew that you were going to be the judge for this episode, man. Chris. Yeah, okay. Um, my only question is, did Gasnow rock his signature mullet in 1991? Uh, it was a, if it was a mullet, it was a really short mullet. Ah, oh, man. It was a nine, the 90s mullet, the 90s when, you know, about the 90s. It's 91, it though. Like, it's kind of a bleed over. Like, I think you still had those, like, hangover late yeah. 80s mullets. I like to call <laughs> yeah. it the Keith Hernandez mullet. <laughs> Business in the front, a healthy gathering in the back. <laughs> right, right. Or on your face, um, if you're Keith Hernandez. Uh, I mean, I, obviously, I'm going to have to go with the sack exchange guy here. Mark Gasson is my dude. And uh, the other two, you, know, you got uh, AIDS and Prince killing the, uh, Michael Jackson. So, like, Regicide. <laughs> the waters of Lake Minnetonka ran red. <laughs> Joe, I, I know why you did that though. Joe's like, he's playing the long game. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna come out with the news, ditch this shit out of the way, single point round. I know how this game's played. I yeah, baby. Now I've won enough of these. <laughs> All right, Mark, I'll give you that one. So you kick it off. All right, so I pick up the first point and I jump out to an early lead, but more importantly, I take control of the board. Uh, let's go to the television round, gentlemen. All right, for my TV pick, let's tune into the Superstation WTBS at 7.05 p.m. on the night of Wednesday, June 12th, 1991, for Clash of the Champions 15. Live from Knoxville, Tennessee, there was about 5,000 people in attendance that night. Uh, TBS earned a 3.9 TV rating on the night, and it was seen in 2.2 million homes. Our announced team for the evening was Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Now, this event was coming off the heels of the first ever Super Brawl. WCW actually put together a good card for this one with some great names on it and a mix of kind of like competitive and quick fun matches. So if we take a look at that card, starts off with the Young Pistols in the Z-Man. They defeated the fabulous Freebirds, which was uh, Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes and Bad Street in this uh, incarnation of them. Uh, then we have the first appearance on TBS ever of Oz, who had debuted at Super Brawl one month before. He defeats Johnny Rich in uh, a minute 29. Now, if you're not familiar with Oz, it's Kevin Nash dressed up as the Wizard of Oz. I mean, <laughs> greatest gimmick ever in the history of wrestling. Only one with a monkey. <laughs> Then we move on and have uh, Dangerous Danny Spivey. He defeats Big Josh. Uh, Dustin Rhodes defeats Terry Taylor. Uh, no Red Rooster there. He was just Terry Taylor or Terrence Taylor. Uh, but he defeats him by DQ when the York Foundation interferes in the match. Uh, Sting then goes on to defeat Nikita Koloff in just under 10 minutes. Arn Anderson and Barry Windham team up to defeat Ellie Gante and Flying Brian Pillman in a Loser Leaves Town match where Pillman actually had to leave WCW only to return a short time later as the masked wrestler Yellow Dog. Uh, the Steiner brothers that night would defeat Hiroshi Hase and Masa Chono to retain the IWGP Tag Team Championships. Uh, 
And uh, the Diamond Stud, Scott Hall, along with his manager, Diamond Dallas Page, defeats Tommy Rich in under two minutes. Steve Austin with Lady Blossom defeats Joey Maggs to retain the WCW World Television Championship in 25 seconds. Uh, Lex Luger defeats the Great Muda. And in the main event, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, defeats beautiful Bobby Eaton in a two out of three falls match. And uh, the Woo! show actually also featured a segment where Paul Heyman beats Jason Hervey of Wonder Years fame over the head with a cell phone, only to have Jason Hervey's love interest, Missy Hyatt, run out for the save. Oh, and a really weird segment with PN News and Salt and Peppa, where PN News comes out to the ring and busts a rap. But Salt and Peppa do not. So uh, take out your peacock, fire up the old WWE Network, and watch some Clash of the Champions 15 from June 12th, 1991. Impressive. All right, Joe Finley, over to you for the television round. All right. Well, we can stay on the WWE Network for this one. I take yeah. you to June 24th, 2001, and this was the last year of them being the WWF, and I give you the last time that this pay-per-view fell under the WWF banner. I give you the 2001 King of the Ring. This is one of the most full King of the Ring cards you'll ever see. Uh, there are a couple of lesser matches, but then this, this one goes deep after that. So the first match, Matt Hardy defeats Just Incredible to retain the European Championship. Cool, whatever. Um, then we have the Dudley Boys beating Kane and Spike Dudley for the Tag Team Championships. Jeff Hardy beats X-Pac for the light heavyweight title. Then in the King of the Ring tournament, ourself, Team Wreck, consisting of Rhino, Edge, Christian, and Kurt Angle. We're the final four in that tournament. Uh, Edge goes on to beat Kurt Angle in the final one to win the tournament. Uh, Kurt Angle had fought Christian, and Edge fought Rhino prior to that. Uh, then Kurt Angle went on to have a third fight in this uh, pay-per-view, where he takes on Shane McMahon in a street fight that is one for the ages. Uh, this is... A bloody, bloody match right off the bat. Uh, Kurt Angle ends up getting his nose busted up uh, from an errant jab from McMahon. Then they're fighting up and down the aisles. Uh, Shane McMahon attempts a shooting star press onto a garbage can. And, like Mrs. Angle hits the garbage can. Then we get the big spot of the night where... Kurt Angle is supposed to belly-to-belly -belly suplex Shane McMahon through the plate glass of the set, something they were not aware of. This was not the usual kind of sugar glass that one is supposed to do this through. The glass was actually reinforced due to the fact that it was so close to the pyrotechnics, and therefore, like, the, just the pressure from the pyrotechnics themselves would have blown up the sugar glass. So when Shane hit that glass for the first time, he just fell to the top of his head. But that didn't stop them. Kurt Angle did it again and put him belly to belly suplex through the glass. And he cut himself up really good in the process, as well as Shane. Then he tried to do it again, coming back through the other glass. And again, he hit and slid down and landed on his head. Uh, a smart referee might have stopped the match right then and there, but they kept going. He ended up putting him face first through that glass. And that match went over 25 minutes, which was crazy, given the fact that Kurt Angle actually had two solid matches prior to that already. Uh, also, Kurt Angle 
had a broken tailbone going into that match. And Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle both spent the night in the hospital after that with multiple injuries and lacerations. The That wasn't even the main event of the night, though. Stone Cold Steve Austin was in a triple threat match with father of the year Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho in a triple threat match for the championship. Um, The match resulted in a neck injury to Benoit that kept him out for a year, but Stone Cold won and retained his title. So that was just one of those pay-per-views that just hit hard the entire way, like tons of good matches and even the ones that weren't like super good matches were still for belts so i give you the king of the ring june 24th 2001 fantastic great great show great pick all right chucky it is over to you what do you have for the television round big surprise i didn't go with wrestling i actually should have kept the theme going but uh i went a little bit different our route and we're going to talk about music music videos uh a variety show premiered um Little un, un little underground. Uh, I, I feel it's a little bit uh, um, overlooked sometimes. Uh, premiered on the USA Network at a very late time slot, usually following USA Up All Night movies. Uh, mainly hosted and narrated by the voice of a, a one Pat Prescott, and created by uh, Stuart Shapiro. Uh, the show ran through uh, ran for four hours and originally aired from 1981 through 1988. Uh, before moving into syndication in the early 90s. Uh, It even predated MTV's launch by two months, as far as uh, music videos and TV go. We get Night Flight? (laughs) MTV wasn't showing uh, clips from David Lynch's uh, Eraserhead, though. Uh, An eclectic uh, mix of short films, cartoons, B-movies, stand-up comedy, documentaries, music videos, and, of course, retro commercials from that era. Uh, the series was one of the first sources uh, in American television to see full length and short films not generally aired on network television or even pay cable uh, channels like uh, HBO. It was the first place that many Americans were able to see music documentaries such as Another State of Mind, of the Grateful Dead movie, or uh, P- uh, Pink Floyd The Wall. Strap in and take off with TV, the TV series Night Flight, premiered June 5th, 1981. And I suggest you go and check out the Night Flight Plus app or nightflight.com now if you are looking for something different or highly, I highly recommend this. Back to you, Mark James. Nice. Great pick. All right, Man Crush, let's go over to you. What is your verdict for the television round? All right, so let's go uh, 1991. Mark, you show up with uh, Clash of the Champions. And the one thing I didn't understand, you said it had a 3.9, but it had 2.2 million eyeballs. Wouldn't that be 3.9 million eyeballs? Am I reading this wrong? That, yeah, that, that <laughs> struck me as odd too, but it said it was in it was in 2.2 million households. It checks out. It checks and out. And there's more than, they count more I than know, one I know, I'm the only wrestling person in my house so. who watches wrestling usually. We have multiple sets of eyeballs, but I just don't, they never watch it. So, so do they just make these numbers up? That that's what I got out of what you were telling me. Like they just they're like, oh, three point nine. Usually it's two point two we're watching. Yeah, it's like uh it's like WrestleMania three with fucking uh with TV. <laughs> no, these were like actual like television yeah. Nielsen ratings because it was on TBS. Oh, TBS. So. But I mean anything that brings the young pistols to the table, stuff to beat. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Oz. <laughs> That first gimmick is probably one of the worst gimmicks 
It's top ten worst gimmicks. I would I would say. Yeah. For a guy of that that magnitude afterwards, it's almost it's almost shocking that he pulled out of that because there's a lot of guys that don't. Shocking? Uh, you say shocking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. As in tugboat? No. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's it's crazy. You had uh, Dustin Rhodes still wrestling. You talked about Sting still wrestling. Yeah. Pillman. Arn, <laughs> yeah. still wrestling. Their kids are wrestling, and then yeah, you got Nietzsche. We don't even do we know who he's going against yet? Hasn't been announced. I hope it's not Mike Tyson. That <laughs> would fucking be crazy. No, Mike Tyson was supposed to be in the roast, but he pulled out already. Oh, he did because they probably want him to wrestle. <laughs> and you mentioned Jason Hervey. I fucking hate ever since Monster Squad. I fucking hate Jason Hervey. Fucking Wayne. <laughs> Wayne Arnold, like even Wonder Years, like it, the stigma was not gone. I was like, "You're that scumbag from Monster Squad, and you're still a fucking douchebag." And I don't know, he might be a great guy in real life, but doesn't matter because he played that role so well. Well, it's Pee Wee too, man. Uh, I say Pee Wee's big oh, adventure. Yeah, he's a fucking same shit. little son he's of a, a bitch, asshole. And then uh, you also mentioned Salt and Pepper. Uh, funny, <laughs> funny enough, I'm going to see New Kids on the Block next month. Forced. Nice. And Saul and Peppa is actually playing. I'm actually looking forward to seeing them and uh, Rick Astley. No. Oh, Jesus. Oh, You're going to wow. get Rick rolled live. Nice. I'm looking forward to those two. Um, definitely not really looking forward to New Kids on the Block. You should roll while you watch Rick. I'm going to be <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> the whole day. Um, oh, and all right. So let's move on to... Uh, Joe had a one. He brought King of the Ring, and I bought this shit. And again, like you're talking about this, you got Matt Hardy. And I want to say Jeff Hardy because he's not wrestling now, but he should be. Uh, but those both those guys are wrestling. Yeah, you said Rhino, Edge, Christian. All those guys are still wrestling, which is fucking insane. But the thing I remember the most, and it's not you mentioned it, but that whole match when he tried to throw Shane through the plate glass the first time. Yeah. The thud. We. It was, I still remember. It was uh, my friend Brian and my friend John, and uh, this guy Lou, a friend of ours. It was also there. We bought this pay per view, and then this guy Eric. And as soon as his body hit that glass, it was so fun. It was like thud. Dunk. Yeah, and we all started laughing because <laughs> you knew he was supposed to go through it, but he totally didn't. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, I, I also got to give you points in this one because. Uh, Austin fucking put uh, Benoit on ice for a year. Yeah. Good for He knew him, what man. none of us knew. Yeah, for real. <laughs> also, I loved Austin back then. And then yeah. um, Chuck, he came with Night Flight, which is tough for me because uh, I didn't have MTV <laughs> when it first came out the first couple of years. So I would watch Night Flight to watch my videos. And, uh, and they also had like different movies and stuff and in different segments. And I always thought it was pretty cool. And it went on for years. And that's why I think that's what got me into like up all night years later, because I always watch those late and I've talked about it on the show before, but I always watch those late night USA shows throughout the eighties. And then uh, obviously it culminated with, uh, with up all night, but yeah. Oh man. All right, I'm going to split hairs here, and I'm going to give this one to Chucky because you guys both brought wrestling, and I can't really 
I mean, what what do I do here? Like <laughs> between the two of them, you got Salt and Peppa versus uh, Steve Austin. I don't know, I, I, and you got the Young Pistols. I, I'm gonna have to go with uh, with my. Oh yeah, there you go. All right, Chucky, you tie up this game. You take control of the board. Where are we going for our final one point round? Okay. Um, since it's a final one point round, I'm going to go with the least of all the three that I've left, and that's music. Because knowing Nick, he, I don't know, Nick might be a fan, might not be a fan. But uh, following this group, uh, their self titled EP, prior to, uh, prior to this in 1980, uh, this new wave group. I uh, had just a few hit singles off this particular album, which sported a Boy Scout floating in clouds, waving creepily and smiling. The cover was a parody of the Boy Scouts of America 1960s f- official handbook uh, illustrated by Norman Rockwell uh, was the choice for their album cover. Um, but uh, what else would you expect from the man who would uh, come to uh, we would come to know as Danny Elfman? Uh, this uh, album uh, could uh, almost be a soundtrack for 1981, an early ska sound, uh, if you will, um, with a title, the title track, Only a Lad, and other hit singles like Little Girls and a radical cover uh, song of You Really Got Me, uh, rounding out the top ten, the, the ten, uh, rounding out the t- ten song track list. That's right. It uh, was highly acclaimed, but never made the top 100 that year, though. Uh, Ended up a cult, underground, gothic type of vibe uh, flavor that inspired many thereafter. I give you the band of the man who gave us the theme to The Simpsons and so much more. Tim Burton's friend and sometimes our friend, uh, Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo, Only a Lad, their second studio album released on uh, June 19th, 1981. I'm going to beat Mark to this. Uh, Mark saw Wingo Boingo. You son of a bitch. No, totally wrong. I never saw Oingo Boingo. I would never stoop so fucking low. I saw Wang Chung. Get it right. <laughs> I knew it was one of those fucking terrible bands. <laughs> I can't even say anything that. <laughs> I don't know what's worse. You defend like you said one and then you defended it with <laughs> I saw Wang Chung. <laughs> right. Oh god. Wow. Man. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, it's over to you for the music round. All right. Well, I'm gonna take you to actually a concert festival, in fact, uh that is very indicative of the year in which it came out. Uh I give you Pink Pop 2001 that took place in Megaland at Landgraf, the Netherlands. Uh some of the acts that appeared on this particular day, which was June 4th, 2001, were Limp Biscuit, The Manic Street Preachers, Semisonic, The Hives, The Offspring, Tool, and Radiohead. And I save Radiohead till the end because it was actually the same day of the release of their album Amnesiac, which was kind of the part two of the Kid A because it was all recorded around the exact same time. So uh, it was just a, a concert that really kind of enveloped the year in rock uh, as as you kind of see it. Uh, Radiohead was in the middle of their Kid A and Amnesiac tour at this time. They were averaging uh, 22 songs 
per uh show and then and then at least one encore they were doing upwards of six or seven songs over several encores during this period of time uh this was one of their shorter concerts where they played only 15 songs and an and did an encore uh but uh yeah it was mostly stuff off of the recent two albums uh i happened to do a little research on radiohead because i was looking up amnesiac and all that stuff and they were going through the set lists for this particular tour for them and of the 35 concerts that they did they only played the song creep once during the yeah. entire time not a fan a creep are the radioheads <laughs> so but but yeah they uh they played their asses off and they uh, helped headline this uh yeah, pretty cool all-star event with some pretty cool things and very different. Like you, you don't get more different than Lip Biscuit and Tool. You don't get more different than the Offspring and Radiohead, especially like this era of Radiohead. So, uh, yeah, that's what I give you. June fourth, two thousand one, same day as their uh, release of Amnesiac. Radiohead highlights Pink Pop, two thousand one. Excellent. All right. Well, rolling on in the music round. Let's go to my music selection. All right, released June 18th, 1991, I present to you for your listening pleasure for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, the ninth studio album by Van Halen, and the third album was Sammy Hagar. It sold 3.9 million copies in the United States, and it's certified three times platinum. The album actually marked the return of uh, Van Halen's harder roots rock sound. Uh, it was kind of a little more guitar-centric than their last few albums, 5150 and OU812. Uh, it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 album charts and maintained that spot for three weeks. Now, the title of the album came from the red rocker Sammy Hagar himself, who wanted to push the censorship issues and originally wanted to call the album Fuck, but instead settled on the acronym instead. So the outstanding track listing for this one is as follows. Starts off with probably one of my favorite Van Halen songs, Pound Cake. Uh, then we move on to Judgment Day, Spanked, Runaround, Pleasure Dome, In and Out, Man on a Mission, The Dream is Over, and then who can forget the rock and tune who helped usher in Crystal Pepsi right now. And then 316, the Eddie Van Halen instrumental, and then the album finishes off nicely with Top of the World. Uh, the album won the Best Rock Album Award at the Billboard Music Awards and Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocal at the 92 Grammys. So I give you For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, also known as Fuck, by Van Halen, June 18th, 1991. All right, Man Crush, what is your verdict for the final one-point round the music round. All right. I've said this a million times before. Music is visceral. So I'm going to be quick with this. It's either you like it or you don't. And uh, let's go in order. Chucky came with 81. You got Boy Scouts floating on clouds. Little girls, Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo. You lost. Oh, uh, one. We got Pink Pop. You got uh, Maddox Street Preachers. You brought up. Who the fuck are they? They're a band. They were around. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> They're a bear. They play music. And then, uh, you know, like, listen, I loved Radiohead when I was in high school, but Tom York blew his load on OK Computer. And then when I saw him in concert, they refused to play Karma Police or Creep. So fuck you. And fuck Mark. Pound Cake. 
run around fucking right now. Mark standing on top of the world. Oh no. All right, Mark got this round. I feel like Mark has picked Van Halen at least three times since I've been on. <laughs> really? I think at this every point other on the time show, it's Van Halen. I think we've picked almost every single Van Halen album yeah. because they're just that legendary of a goddamn band. Yeah, I don't think Mark picked the albums though. Like honestly, I don't. I don't remember too many albums popping up. I think Mark picked. Last time I remember, Mark picked a concert. Like one of Van Halen's yeah. like first, like their first yeah. tour or some yeah. shit like that. And, and they're so prolific. Like those guys are so prolific. Like I had the same thing. I remember one time we were doing a whole year and I came across three Led Zeppelin albums in the year. And yeah. I'm just like, are like, oh yeah, this, they're going to come up a lot. Bands like this. Like, yeah, <laughs> yep. that was a huge album though. I remember they were away for a while and they came back and I, I saw the album. I still own it. I have the CD somewhere. And then I had no idea that it was going to be that good. Listening to the whole album. I think, what was the first single that came out for that? Was it Runaround? Pound Cake. Was it Pound Cake? All right. So, like, after that first single came out, I was like, all right, this that'll be all right. And then I listened to that. The whole album is good. Like, every single track in that album. And then it is. you got that instrumental you're talking about, uh, 316. Yep. With, you know, Eddie fucking just ripping it up. Um, dude, so it's a no brainer. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Van Halen albums for sure. It's very underrated. It really is. I think a lot of people talk about, especially when it comes to Sammy, a lot of people talk about OU812, but I, I think this album's better. Yeah. But again, um, and I, I brought this up on the show, like not that long ago, maybe beginning of this year, maybe the end of last year. Uh, I am, um, now a DLR guy, but this is a good album. <laughs> All right. Well, I jump out to the lead heading into our first two point round and that gentleman will be the hot products round. All right, guys. So here on the show, we always talk about picks that have legs to them. Well, my pick for hot products definitely has some legs. It's got two really fast ones. June 23rd, 1991. I give you the release of Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, development began in 1990 when Sega ordered its developers to create a game featuring a mascot for their company. Now, they originally wanted it to be a bunny rabbit, but the developers were having a hard time figuring out how they were going to animate that and eventually decided on a blue hedgehog instead, and a video game icon was born. Sonic has remained a mainstay in video games for the past 31 years, and he propelled Sega to become a powerhouse in the video game industry. Uh, Sonic's original name was not Sonic. It was Mr. Needlemouse, and his look was heavily inspired by Japanese pop art. One of the most beloved things about the Sonic games for me was always the impressive soundtrack, which was scored entirely by the Japanese pop group Dreams Come True. Now, they went on to uh, provide music for the movie Sleepless in Seattle and the animated film The Swan Princess. Now, Sonic has become one of the best-selling video games of all time, with approximately 24 million copies sold of the original Sega title. Now, Sonic Annex sequels would go on to sell 140 million units by 2016 and grossing over $6 billion as of 2020. As well as two recently released movies. So we all know it. We've all played it. 
We've all had the song stuck in our head. It's Sonic the Hedgehog on Sega! Alright, June 23rd, 1991. Alright, Joe Finley, it is over to you for the Hot Products Round. Alright, I think we all know that the only hedgehog is uh, Ron Jeremy. We don't need to talk about this anymore. (laughs) Alright, we're going to stay in the video game milieu here, and we're going to talk about a release on June 11th, 2001. Uh, This was a pretty big deal. It was an advance in... uh, handheld technology quite literally because i give you nintendo's game boy advance uh it actually sold 500,000 units in its very first week in north america making it the fastest selling system at the time sold 80,000 units in its first week in the uk making it the fastest selling system there as well and this is keeping in mind that the ps2 was out so like it had it beat ps2 numbers which were out of this world at that time. Uh, all said and done, it sold more than 81.5 million units. Uh, it was capable of actually being played on the Nintendo GameCube as well, which was, had come out that year, uh, with an accessory that allowed you to plug the games directly into there, as well as hook your Game Boy Advance directly into the system, which allowed for some multiplayer games to be played through uh, several uh, Game Boy Advances. Some of the popular games for the system included the Pokemon games, Pokemon Emerald and things like that, um, the Super Mario Advance games, and a port of Legend of Zelda Link to the Past with a multiplayer version that we just talked about uh, that was added on called the Four Swords. So it was the first in the handheld systems for Nintendo to stop being a portrait setup and became a landscape setup similar to the Game Gear or something like that at the time, or a PS Vita if we want to get a little bit more (laughs) recent, I guess. Uh, But the thing was an absolute powerhouse, and it just, you know, kept Game Boy as the number one name in all of uh, handheld gaming across the world. So I give you Game Boy Advance, June 11, 2001. Nice. Excellent. All right, Chucky, it is over to you for the hot products round. What you got, man? Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but I'm just going to stick with the video game uh, theme oh, that we have shit. going here, I guess. <laughs> Three, yeah, right? It's a hat Triple trick. Gucci, um, man. <laughs> and, and, not, and not just that, not just that, what I'm bringing also has legs, but frog legs. This legendary game was originally developed by Konami and was first published uh, in Japan in 1981, January time. It entered mass production in June of 1981, becoming a success in Japan over the next few months. And in July of 81, Sega gained exclusive rights to manufacture the game worldwide. It was seen as a game that had no age or gender barriers with its appeal uh, a, a simple concept uh, for a game you play as a frog or a green blob, making your way across uh, to a swamp area through dodging traffic, avoiding alligators, and jumping logs and getting squished. Uh, its success resulted in production of the title to be ported onto every console available in the 80s, uh, becoming uh, one of the top grossing arcade games in, the nor- in North America during 1981. The arcade game earned over $135 million for Sega Gremlin Corp. in U.S. cabinet sales, becoming the most successful Sega release in Japan. It was the 12th highest grossing arcade game of 1981. Of course, I'm talking about Frogger, entering mass production in June of 1981. Ribbit, bitch. <laughs> 
And of course we can't, we can't forget, you know, Seinfeld where George Costanza got obsessed with preserving his uh, high score of fraud. Right. Right? I mean, shit. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see which one man crush likes the best when he gives us his verdict. For the hot products round. All right, since you guys all picked video games, and <laughs> I'm not really a gigantic gamer. I mean, I played games. I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself a gamer. We're gonna do something a little interesting here. I'm gonna go around Robin, and I'm gonna ask you guys. Now, don't just pick your pick because it's your pick. Tell me which pick I'm gonna pick. You guys have been on the show with me long enough. Let's see if you get it right. If somebody does get it right, I will give you the points for the round. Mark, go ahead. You can go first. Since you've been here the longest with me, what am I picking here? Oh, man. You don't have to give me a, you know, you have to tell me why. You can just, you can just pick one if, if you know it in your head. We'll keep this short, but go ahead. I'm going to have to go with Sonic on this one. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think you're going to go with Frogger because you never owned a Sega. You had a Turbo Graphics, so fuck Sonic. And uh, at least at least Frogger's retro. All right. Well, so. I give you half points for that because uh, you are correct. I've never owned a Sega. Matter of fact, I've never in my life played Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but I know it's it's got some cultural significance, so I'm not going to downplay it. All right. Uh, Joe, go ahead. I was going to say Sonic just because it's of the three things. It's the more the most iconic for video games. It became the icon for an entire brand. It's true. It's a big boy. What do you think, Chucky? I think Frogger because it's the oldest one. <laughs> it's, uh, most, like, the most known, the most known. Of all all of right. Well, you, you know, you say video. I'll games. just say uh, none of you are correct. Uh, Mark probably knows me the most by saying that i never owned a sega he is correct with that never owned a sega did have that turbo graphic 16 which sits at mike ranger's house now uh, oh, that to him. wow um but we'll start in reverse this time because we're talking about the two-point round so let's go to frogger uh, i did have that on my atari 2600 however all i remember of that entire game is the cartridge i don't even remember how to play I remember it had like green borders like in the game itself and there was there was like water, but I don't even remember how to play it. It probably sucks shit through a straw. So Frogger, <laughs> nah. Um and then uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Like Mark Mark said, I've never played this game. Did you say the original name was Mr. Needle Mouse? Mr. Needle Mouse. Yeah, that's Mouse. Ridiculous. Needle Mouse or Mouth? Mouse. Did that guy get fired? Which, he should have. I hope so. It's the worst. No, that's actually what they used as the working title, and it was like its code name for a while. Oh, good lord. That's horrible. Yeah, it took me three tries to go over and made sure I say Mr. Needle Mouse and not Mr. Needle Dick. You know, you know what Pac-Man was called in Japan, don't you? No, what was Pac-Man called? Fucking Puck-Man or uh, Fuck-Man. Oh, Fuck-Man. Fuck That'll get people to buy it. <laughs> That's what they call me in Japan. Paku, 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 paku. Yeah. Well, Mark did mention uh, that everyone has played that and everyone knows the song. I've never played it. And I don't even know what the fucking song is. So, yeah, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> and then we got uh, we got Game Boy Advance and you would like I've none of you guys picked Game Boy Advance. It was going to be my selection of this round, but I am going to give this one to Joe. And the reason is this. When I was in Iraq, I traded with another Marine for a Game Boy Advance. Wow. 
Wow. For a can of dip. <laughs> Whoa. Best deal ever. We were out on a we were out on a mission that we were out for like a month. And I had extra dip cans in my bag. It was like skull or some shit, like skull mint or something. And the guy, he was so hard up for dip, traded me his Game Boy Advance. And I shit. I dude, I played and I had all his games too. He gave me like um, like I had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two was on there. Oh my god, Mario Kart, fucking <laughs> Super uh, Mario World I had on there too. Like, <laughs> like that's what I did for seven months. So I gotta go with Joe in this one. Wow. And that yeah, it surprised me that that was so old. Maybe that yeah. like at the time I thought I was ripping him off, but I was there in two thousand four. <laughs> so that, mm-hmm. was that old as shit. Was there another one after that? I don't even know. Uh, well, I mean the DS, but that was a little while later. But, oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah, that's crazy. It was well it's something we kind of realized when we did the last uh, 2000s episode is like, wow, like the 2000s really were a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like it doesn't seem it when you look at the year. You're like, oh, 2005, or like I got out of the Marine Corps in 2007. Feels like eight generations ago. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. Anyhow, so uh, Joe's on the board. I think he just did he tie it up. All right, Joe Finley, just like a good porno, you've come from behind <laughs> and uh, you've tied up this game and we're heading into the final round, which is, of course, is going to be the movies Ooh, round. This is a good one. All right. Um, I'm just going to go ahead right off the bat with this one. So I'm going to take you to June 22nd, 2001. Um, the movie... Could have been a commercial for Nos and Corona, but it should have been a commercial for the Olive Garden. Because when you're there, you're family. I give you the Fast and the Furious. This first movie in a 10-movie franchise plus a spinoff finds Los Angeles police officer Brian O'Connor having to decide where his loyalties really lie when he becomes enamored with the street racing world he's been sent undercover to destroy. Uh, Just to remind people, so people who see the trailers for the most recent ones, like, uh, you know, Fast 9 and all these different things, where they're taking down terrorists and they're, like, flying in space and they're doing all these kind of things it all started out taking down a group of street racers who were stealing vcr dvd combos out of the back of a truck that was <laughs> that's where it all began uh so the movie starred vin diesel paul walker michelle rodriguez jordana brewster um and fire festival's jaw rule uh <laughs> uh it's now this is a franchise that doesn't have legs but it's got wheels it's got 10 movies like i said uh and it's brought more stars in like the rock jason statham tyrese Ludacris, john cena charlize theron kurt russell helen mirren gal gadot so many more uh this movie made 207 million dollars on a 38 million dollar budget uh the whole movie the whole franchise has made 6.2 billion dollars making it the eighth highest grossing film franchise of all time and when the 10th movie comes out it actually stands a really good chance at actually cracking the top five because it's really close to those other ones right now if it gets in the 800 million again it pretty easily enters the top five and uh yeah you can't say much for it it's a it's a movie that i made fun of 
frantically when it came out and then when too fast too furious came out i just couldn't get enough of making fun of it and then when tokyo drift came out i i still make stupid tokyo drift jokes every day drift what you mean drift if you ain't out of control you ain't in control (laughs) and the thing being though then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger like it it was a tumor that metastasized into like pop culture phenomenon and so that's what i give you is the fast and the furious drift correct me if i'm wrong isn't fast and the furious and air buddies aren't they like vying for the same don't don't they both have about 20 fucking movies air bud air bud yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. the but yeah i I think there's only like six of them i had that as a selection (laughs) way back in the day when uh john cross was judging uh, I think he gave me the round for air buddies. Nice. That's the only thing that can rival uh, Fast and Furious. Hey, space buddies for life, man. John yeah. Ratzenberger rocks in that movie. <laughs> hey there, Nomi. All right, guys. So for my movies pick this week, uh, we're going to go over to a movie released June 7th, 1991 from director Stephen Herrick, uh, the man who brought you Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. It's don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. So let's go over to our good friends at newspapers.com for a review appearing in newspapers across the country by Marshall Fine of the Gannett News Service. The headline reads, How bad is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead? Well, how bad do you think, given that title? We're not talking about a movie made by people with room temperature IQs. We're talking about shoe size IQs here. And not big shoes, either. This may well be the first movie targeted at the brain dead. Minimally talented Christina Applegate stars as Sue Ellen Crandall, a Southern California teen whose mother is going to Australia for the summer. Then after a little rundown of the movie's plot, he goes on to say, Applegate's range includes three different pouts. The rest of the teen cast, former Dueling Decades judge Keith Coogan, Josh Charles, Robert High Gorman and Daniel Harris, they're equally charmless. The adults, uh, Joanna Cassidy, John Getz, and Conchita Tomey, are merely pitiable. Uh, this may be the first film in movie history that could actually be proven to kill brain cells. Of course, we all know and love this movie, and it would go on to, be t- to become an all-time classic once it hit cable and the VHS shelves, but you know, Sometimes it's just fun to look up some bad reviews and just see how wrong they got it. So I give you Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, June 7th, 1991. I saw that movie at least three times in theater, so fuck them (laughs) critics. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chucky, why don't you wrap us up for the movies round? All right, here we go. I'm bringing a sequel, a blockbuster summer sequel. Double super duper hero smash hit adventure for everyone's uh, with everyone's favorite hero in blue and red tights. Uh, he's back, and this time he's more super than ever. Uh, Christopher Reeve foils the plot of a, a terrorist by hurling their nuclear device into outer space, but only the bombs, uh, the bomb shockwaves free Kryptonian villain General Zod and his henchmen Ursa and Nan from their imprisonment. Traveling to Earth, they threaten the planet with destruction at the same time uh, that Superman decides to renounce his superpowers in order to live a normal life as Clark Kent and with his new love, Lois Lane. 
The sequel stars Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve, Terrence Stamp, Ned Beatty, Sarah Douglas, Margot Kidder, and Jack O'Halloran. It uh, raked in about 54 million budget on box office and 190.4 million. Needless to say, it was the summer hit of 1981. Overall, number three of the year of 1981, grossing 37 million, uh, 264,000, uh, to be considered by fans the best, one of the best Superman live action films, or uh, one of the best uh, that Warner, Warner Brothers has ever produced. Uh, selected uh, premiere engagement and select premiere engagements of the film were presented in Mega Sound, a high impact surround sound system similar to Sen Surround. Uh, so you can clearly hear the famous line Come to me, son of Joral, kneel before Zod. Of course, I can only be talking about Superman 2 that was released June 19th, 1981. Wow. All right, Man Crush, I guess it is all up to you. What is your verdict on the movies round? Holy shit. This is tough, actually. Uh, Fast and Furious. You know, I was thinking about this when, when Joe was talking about it. How this franchise went from, like you said, like they were robbing trucks for VCRs and DVD players to putting Fieros in fucking space with... Uh, who are the two rappers up there? It was... Uh, I don't remember their uh, fucking names. Ludacris. Ludacris. And... What's the other guy's name? Well, didn't Tyrese come up with him? Tyrese, yeah. <laughs> weren't John they wearing Cena. like, uh, it looked like they were wearing like those 1930s underwater sea apparatus outfits. Yeah, yeah that works. Yeah. See, and the thing is, they claim John Cena was in it, but I didn't see him. Well, nobody did. But anyhow, getting back to my point. Um, I was talking about that in my head and I was like, no movie has ever done this. And then as I was thinking about it, Friday the 13th went from Jason's mom killing people in Crystal Lake to him going to space and in dreams. <laughs> so there has been another franchise that's done it. So, but that's uh, an excellent choice. And then Mark brought fucking Coogan. This is done, man. And then every time I asked Mark to do something, he goes, Right on top of that, Rose. <laughs> but seriously, like, I had this one on RCA disc. Superman 2 was like my fucking... It, I don't... It wasn't in the uh, the Man Crush 5, but I watched it quite often. And then as an adult, the, uh, the Donner cut and everything else. I mean, it's just hands down. Superman 2 has to take this round, right? I mean, they're all good in their own right. But Superman. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, I'll say it again, like I said off the air, this that was my, um, I'll just say, uh, you know what else came out that year was uh, The Great Muppet Caper, which I went against and I switched my my uh, movie up because I found out that uh, Man Crush was the judge today. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> what's funny, I had I had that movie on RCA disc as well. Wow. But I, I never just, watched I, it. So I guess either either way, either way, yeah. But I mean, I mean, yeah, nah, you know what? Caper, I did right, watch know, that. More I watched it from time to time, but not as much as real movies. It was no, it was no Muppet movie, but <laughs> <laughs> or Muppets Take Manhattan. Well, believe it or not, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, out of nowhere, Chucky comes out and he wins this round. Holy shit! Congratulations! <laughs> wow. Is that Chucky's first ever win or something? It is. <laughs> it is. This is my first win. My first fucking win. <laughs> Finally. 
Finally! Yeah, up until this point, he's always been known as O for Chucky. <laughs> oh my God! So, what are we doing? Are we going to go out for drinks after this, or what? You know, strip, strippers and cocaine, or what's it's going on? It's only ten o'clock where you are. You got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, just go for yeah. it. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to the casino. <laughs> yeah, let me know how it goes. <laughs> Play the lotto. Just remember to split it with me. <laughs> exactly. I won with Superman. Isn't that some shit? <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. Oh yeah, very man. very very no, that very uh very honored. Thank you for all the times that I've been on this show and I finally I wish I I kept coming at the count and see, you know, which uh, which was this the 10th time I've been on and <laughs> I thought you were going to come with like Shvenguli's greatest hits or something. <laughs> oh, I know. No, I'm telling you. I was I was going to do I was going to do Great Muppet Caper cuz I'm a big Muppet head and you know, I'm like, oh, you know, you know what? I, now that I know that, because I asked Mark, I said, who's uh, who, who did you get to judge after, after all? And he goes, oh, I'm uh, Nick. I said, okay. I said, all right, let me, let me, I go, as soon as I said, I go, let me change my movie pick then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, that was a good, that was good on your behalf, because if you had come with the Muppets, then I think Mark would have taken this. Chucky always comes with the Muppets. Oh yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, I it's can't in good conscience uh, select Fast and Furious, <laughs> even though it's made a gazillion dollars. So I think Mark would have taken it if you had done that. So good, I, good on you. Wow. I, I, I really, I really don't like Fast. And Furious. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like that. My wife and I, several they, years ago, I, I owned them all on Blu-ray, except for like the last two, and we watched every single one of them. And you, I would recommend to anybody to do that and begin with one. Just spend yeah. an entire weekend starting at one and ending with was it was it the ninth one? Is it it's nine? on nine right now? Yeah, yeah. Get all 10. the way to nine, and you will even know. Like, make sure you're high. Yeah, you ha- you kind of have to be because you're gonna even if you're not, you're gonna be like, is this a different movie? Are you like throwing out a passive aggressive challenge to me? Because you know I have never oh, seen dude. one of those movies. That's I've it. Ne- I've ne- I never this have. weekend. No. Watch it from yeah. one to nine. It'll oh blow your fucking mind. I would. I would take you up on that, man. Crush. The only thing is, is they really clinched my fucking like hatred. Is didn't they uh, replace uh, a ride in Universal? With, wasn't it like Simpsons or something before? And they changed it no. to Fast and the Furious. No, back to the, back back to the really future turned into it. the Simpsons. And then after that, then there was something. Uh, there was uh, something. Something. Then there was now whatever fucking Fast and the uh, Furious is. Before it was something way fucking uh, better. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. I went to see. I went to the drive-in, and the second movie was Too Fast, Too Furious, and we weren't having it. So you're not allowed to switch screens, but they can't tell you that you can't face your car in a different direction and change the radio <laughs> station. So I literally, I turned my car around to face the screen that was doing Matrix Revolutions. Nice. Brilliant. That, that sounds like a, an experience I had. Um, mm-hmm. I got free tickets to go see Superman versus Batman. And with even with free tickets, I really, really took me everything to not walk out halfway yeah. through that movie, with, even with a free seat. And that never happened. That never happened before. Speaking of Superman. Yeah. Martha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was the part, I think, was yeah. the Martha part. I'm like, I'm leaving. This oh, is yeah, ridiculous. Like, 
seriously? No, 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 no. I think <laughs> DC wants to forget all that happened. Yeah. And they were, they want to forget yeah, about Ezra Miller too. Awful. I don't think that's yeah. Gonna happen. Oh god. Yeah, they got a they got a, a yeah. movie in the can with Michael Friggin Keaton and they're probably not going to be able to run it. <laughs> Good lord. Well, again, congratulations Chucky on your very first win. You never forget your first time. But uh, why don't you tell everybody what you got coming up on Garbage Pail Flicks? Yeah, you can find me on social media, Instagram and Facebook, Wolf, uh, Werewolf, <laughs> Wolfman Savage, a.k.a. the Werewolf of Berwyn. Garbage Pail Flicks podcast show will be back soon. Uh, but you can always listen to back catalog episodes on YouTube, Podbean, Amazon Music, and wherever else your ears hear things. Uh, see videos with your eyes at Garbage Pail Flicks VHS creations and mixes, if you will, are, of course, on YouTube and archives.org. Tune in, trash out. Live long and prosper. May the force and the Schwartz be with you guys on my first fucking win. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, why don't you tell everybody what you guys have coming up on Miscast Commentary and your sensational YouTube channel? I just canceled it all because I lost, so forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving up on this whole game. No, um, well, lots to come in uh, the coming weeks on Miscast Commentary. Got a couple of fun ones. Uh, we got Highlander coming up as well as Nobody. Uh, so that's what we're dealing with over there. And then on my channel, Miscast Joe, and you can also follow me on any of my socials, Miscast, anything Miscast Joe is me. Uh, you can uh, find me there just reviewing lots of stuff. I'm actually, well, the headphones I'm wearing are being reviewed right now. A laptop next to me is being reviewed right now. I've got some more microphones coming in. Uh, as always, I am swimming in gear, and uh, we're going to talk about it on the channel. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Now, Duelers, if you've missed an episode of our show, don't worry. You can always go over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can catch all of our past episodes. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.